Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And this is episode 228. Woo! Yeah. Uh, We're continuing our summer movie series. Last week, we kicked off our summer movie series with the 4th of July. Yes. Yes, we did. And we went a little bit sort of left field for a typical 4th of July uh, episode. I think most people want to get into the pomp and circumstance, and we really dove into, um, I think, sort of what it means on a more serious level in relation to now. No, I think that that's... (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's completely accurate. I think that's 100% what we did. We bummed the people out. Yeah. (laughs) But don't worry, good people. Uh, Today's episode is about real summer experiences right here on Earth, right around the same time of each other, about four years apart. Oh, or really? so, yeah. Wow. Uh, so, today's episode is all about documentary film and documentaries that evoke summer. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, a wide topic for a little while. I think for me, one of the obvious answers for what did I consider a sort of summer documentary was something nature-related. No, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Um, I think that you you really you really did a slam dunk with these ones, though. Like, they are, you know, both in the, in the heart of summer. The idea is summer, and I think that you, that was very successful. Yeah. And, you know, when I really started thinking about summer movies, one of the first just titles that ran through my head of movies was The Endless Summer. Mm-hmm. And so... Today's documentary episode was sort of based off of that idea, was just that one movie in particular, just what if we did The Endless Summer? hmm And then off of that, I wanted to pair it with something because everything was getting paired with something, and I thought, well, let's, you know, sort of look up summer documentary. And one of the first ones that came up was Summer of Soul. Oh, it even has it in the name. Look at us. Look at us really doing this today. So... Uh, it's, and it's, you know, the recent Academy Award Best Picture winner Mm -hmm. for Best, uh, Documentary Feature Film. Mm -hmm. And so it just seemed like a, like a really slam dunk idea, you know, one of the early documentaries of the 60s that helped define the surfing generation. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a movie all about this incredible cultural moment from the 60s. And honestly, at the time, I didn't even really consider that they were you know 65 and like 69 yeah honestly um we also like watched them a little bit apart so just just in the the sense of like writing them down on the list they're not that close together so visually as well it wasn't like a oh yeah these things are are connected by only like a few years of time like they are in the same decade yeah i don't know why i threw um i keep putting the other the other one the surfing one in in like the fifties, it's I think because it has that sensibility, but we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of the big idea, right? Is let's go and look at real experiences that tap into this core idea of of summer, and I think that obviously outdoor activity, be it a concert event or surfing, you know, are definitely two things that people think of when they think of summer. Um. And so I guess with that in mind, actually, for our little bit of of opening chitter-chatter, 
what are what are some like summer activities like do you have like a favorite summer activity and have you ever a- attended like an all day concert event uh in the summer no okay no i've never i've never done that um I like being indoors in the summer <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's hot and you know you get sweaty, but like. Um, I guess summer activities that I enjoy. I'm not really a beach person. I could take or leave the beach. Um, but I do like water and I always really enjoyed as a, as a kid getting to go to the pool and having like water park days and stuff like that. I love going to theme parks. Um, especially, you know, during the summer when like the, the season is right for it. But honestly, the best time to go to a theme park is, is in fall, is in the late summer, early fall time. Because there's nobody there, and it's not as sweltering hot anymore. Um, but honestly, like, yeah, I'm. I could take or leave summer as like a as like a season. Like I I like the fact that you know as a as a kid you got the freedom, but. Also, I could have had that really anywhere. You know, if you could have if you told me that I got all of winter off, I'd been like tight. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I think some of the I think some of the poetic nature of summer is oftentimes affiliated with youth. Mm-hmm. You know, being young, having summer to do whatever you wanted, all the way even into your college years. You know, yeah, maybe you worked a job, but you were still potentially part time. Yeah, know, you like, know, you 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 had that you, you that 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 endless possibility. That also came with summer. Mm-hmm. Because you had and so much time. Exactly. And so I think that I think that summer has this interesting nostalgia, but I think that it's also really tied up with with youth, mm-hmm. which I think is also very appropriate in a weird way for what summer sort of symbolizes on a certain level as well. Yeah, you know, in the in the in the um the ske- the scheme of the seasons you know spring is 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 rebirth and so then summer is the the everything is thriving kind of time you know the yeah. good young time and then fall is when things start to, to age and then winter is like you know the, the the death season kind of of if i guess to like put a darker twist on it but it's like you know when you, if you're looking at trees outside if you're in the the states especially i know that seasons are different wherever you go but um, no you get the fall foliage and yeah you know then the leaves I, fall exactly and then you have just like barren trees and and landscape around you and you know and then we we start back up again with spring and and rebirth so i think that i think that you're you're accurate in saying that if if the seasons were a person this person would be a like a young adult yeah you know uh, teens into 20s kind yeah. of person, you know, uh, all the way, you know, obviously this is, this is speculative depending on who, who you are as a person, you know, but like once you start hitting like your 50s, that's like the fall season. Yeah. You know, I, I, I get what you're, I get where you're at. Daddy you. Um, well, I, as far as favorite summer activities go, you know, I love grilling. I love going to the movies. Oh, that's fair. Um, you know, it it's a great reason to go indoors in the movies, you know, especially I remember dad talking about when he was young, you know, one of the things that 
movie theaters would sort of use to advertise was that they were air conditioned. Mm. You know, that was a big deal in the South in the summer for something to go and do. You know, spend a buck or, or, you know, less. Get to sit inside for two and a half hours, man. You know, get to be out of the heat. Yeah. And so that had a lot of appeal, especially for, for young kids, you know, in the summer and that kind of thing. Um, And so... That was obviously less the case for me, but I still enjoyed going to the summer movies in the summer movie season. Um, I love grilling. You know, I, I do enjoy a good bit of, of cooking outside. Because um, you can do it in the winter, and the, the benefit of it in the in the winter and the fall is that then you have, like, the warmth of the fire. Mm-hmm. But also, the it eventually, especially where we are, hits a point of cold in the winter where... Unless you have a good roiling fire outside, you know, You're a cold. grill is, yeah, you know. So, uh, as far as have I ever attended a concert festival, I have. I went to an event hosted by the Alt Rock Station around here, and it was the uh, the Summer Weenie Roast. <laughs> Fantastic. Concert series. That's fantastic. I want a t-shirt that says that. And I saw, um... Oh God, who did I see? I saw like, I think I saw a band called like the, like the, like the Sick Puppies or something like that. Um, the big headlining acts were, um, 30 Seconds to Mars. Okay. Uh, Sublime with Rome. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm totally blanking on the, on the band, but it's the guys that did that song, Sail. I, I, I'm not, I don't know if I know. Sorry, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Where, like, the guys just, like, shout at that song for, like, half of it. Um, oh, my gosh, no, but absolutely. <laughs> I don't need to look it up now. I, I want your version of it to be the only version that I know. <laughs> uh, Wonderful. So... Uh, those were, like, the big ones. I was the most hyped for Sublime with Rome, because I know Sublime. Mm-hmm. Um... And so I was pretty excited to to see that one. Um, 30 Seconds to Mars was the one that, like, everyone around me was the most excited for. Um, and so, like, I saw Jared Leto live and in person once upon a time. This was, like, pre... This was before Suicide Squad was a thought in anybody's head. What? Yeah, what year was this? When... This would have been 2013-ish. Oh, okay. 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Fantastic. I'm glad that I'm glad that I was alive and and aware in this time period <laughs> and if, like genuinely couldn't tell you a Sublime song, have no idea who Rome is. Sublime and... is um loving is what I got. Um that one sounds more familiar okay. than the sale one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um but also um the the Mars one sounds familiar, but like yeah, ah. that's Jared Leto's band, Thirty Seconds to Mars. Yeah, but I again couldn't couldn't name you a single. Me thing. neither, and I I saw them in concert. <laughs> that says a lot. So, uh, but that's the one that everyone was really really into. I remember all the cell phones came out for that one. Oh, stop it! Oh yeah, you know. Oh gosh, you you all pulled out your flip phones, you say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it was still early. Actually, that was back when everyone was really, like, 
ultra comparing their smartphones and you had smartphones that had really stupid fucking features that like none of them ever needed but it was because they were all trying to be different than the other remember one the one that had like attachable things to make it a camera where yeah, you had to like was... carry around like 50 attachments yeah there was also <laughs> one that was like 3d you know oh, it was like fantastic. a parallax screen as well so like it was that kind of fuck shit you know ah, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> it was that time uh the sweet spot <laughs> Sweet spot in technology. Uh, and Blackberry I was, was still around. Mm, oh gosh, everybody had a Blackberry. They thought they were doing work on those things. For a long time, because of the level of encryption that you could get with Blackberry for a very long time, Blackberry was like the de facto device of um, certain government agencies, if I'm not mistaken. Well, honestly, they pretend like they're they're incognito, but if everybody has a BlackBerry and is driving that same kind of car, like we're all gonna go, mm, they are they Mary Kay consultants or are they secret agents? <laughs> um, but I guess without any further ado, we should go ahead and jump into our main discussion, which yes. is film, and uh, in particular, we're gonna start with we'll go chronologically. We'll start with the Endless Summer. Okay. And to kick things off, I thought we would do just a very brief history, I promise it is, of surfing. Oh, okay, sure. I have no idea anything about the history of surfing. Fun fun stuff, then. It's This is the big highlights, you know, sort of bold strokes of it. Fantastic. Um, so body surfing is the earliest agreed upon sort of form of surfing. Mm-hmm. People went out into the waves and, you know, body surfed as a form of locomotion in the ocean and so that's generally sort of agreed upon as the earliest form with like a board being adopted as a tool to improve the action Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so and then it was probably you know a little bit more of like you know um what's the what's the like a boogie board yeah it was probably more like that i can't imagine it was probably a long time before someone popped up Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they were also probably using it as, like, a means of, like, being able to float yeah. as well, you know. Look for things in the water. Exactly. Below, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, you can linger a little bit more when exactly. you have something that's buoyant. And it's a little bit less tiring. Yeah, you know, exactly. On the body. And so there is cave art as old as the 12th century that depicts people surfing. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's been with people for a long time and it did originate in the pacific island area Mm -hmm. uh and if you want to know more about aapi people we've got episodes for you we do (laughs) go back a few months and you're gonna have a go to the first one in particular and you'll get a whole breakdown fantastic so uh the first european to make any documented note about surfing was the explorer james cook oh okay uh, Christian missionaries are uh, actually a negative impact, surprise, surprise, on the culture of surfing because once European settlers started to move out into Pacific areas and set up missionary settlements, part of the thing that also got stripped away with that was surfing as an exhibit of culture. Well... If it's not white. It ain't right. <laughs> and so it had to go. That's right. Um, 
and so it actually ended up diminishing how many people did surf. Because it used to be that once upon a time, like, whole loads of them, of, of people, did. Mm. And then once European settlers came in and attacked, you know, these sort of tribes and put some of them into missionaries, then some of them got disconnected from that part of their culture. Mm-hmm. And then they, they didn't practice it as much. Such a shame. Such yeah. a shame for history. Every single time. Every single time. That's right. Uh, surfing ended up being brought to most people's attention, though, once... Um, they started to hear about it from certain travelers who were also writers like Jack London. Mm-hmm. And then there actually ended up being a surfer who won uh, the 1912 Olympic medal for swimming of some kind. Uh, it was a guy named Duke Kahanamoku. Fantastic. And he was called the Duke, and he was a surfer, and it's generally generally agreed upon that his like really powerful stroking style when he was like going out to surf is what ended up really leading him to have that sort of superiority over people who were just standard swimming laps you know sort of in in pools i i don't doubt that in the slightest yeah i mean when you're going out up against like a force of nature and then you're in still water yeah you know honestly you know yeah that makes perfect sense yeah um and then it really, really got big, particularly in the U.S., once uh, Hawaii was made into a state. Yeah. Uh, the invention of the wetsuit is what started to bring it particularly to stateside surfing. Because typically our ocean water was a little bit colder. Mm. And so most people didn't go out and get into the water. And so the invention of the wetsuit started to increase what temperatures you could tolerate Mm. in surfing. Yes. And so that started to bring it to literally the mainland, not just as a concept, but as a practice. It was comfort. (laughs) Um, And then by by the 60s, it was starting to really boom. And then one of the things that did legitimately help it blow up was this movie? Was this Was The Endless Summer. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so for a little bit of production background, it is directed and narrated by Bruce Brown, who had been surfing since the 50s. Hmm. He started surfing a decade earlier, fell in love with surfing culture uh, while he was stationed out in um, Oahu. And that was also where he took his first footage of surfers on eight millimeter film. And he did in the early days, a lot of still photography then moved into eight millimeter. Uh, by 1958, he made slippery when wet, which was his first sort of proper surf film that he shot on 16 millimeter. And it was, it cost him $5,000 to make it. It sounds like a porno. It does. Uh, By 1962, he was making a surf film a year, and he was self-exhibiting, where he would do live narration on stage with taped music while the movie would play behind him. Fantastic. Um, He had no practical training in film. He essentially read, like, How to Make a Film, the book. And that was, like, his his sort of formal training in, in filmmaking. 
um, to gather funding for this worldwide surf project that he had concocted this idea for. He took some of the best of footage of his previous films and compiled it together in a new movie called Waterlogged. And he went and sold Waterlogged and raised some capital that way. Um, and he needed $50,000 to make Endless Summer. So he did that. He worked, got the money together, and was able to get the, mo the movie made. However, he still also couldn't afford for the surfers to fly around the world. So each of them had to pay for their own ticket and they got reimbursed later on. And so it cost each of them $1,400, which back in the 60s was a pretty penny. Um, yeah. And so uh, production lasted four months, and they went and they traveled the world. Um, it was written and directed and shot by Bruce Brown. It was edited by Bruce Brown. And the music was by a, a triad, John Blakely, Gaston Joris, and Walter Joris of the band The Sandals, who oh, were like a beach uh -huh. sound band. I mean, that makes sense. Um, of course, Bruce was our narrator, and then our main principal surfers were Michael Hinson and Robert August. It was released June 15th, 1965. It has a runtime of an hour 35. Um, it was shot actually on 16 millimeter, but exploded up to 35 millimeter for the final printing for theatrical release. Oh, okay. Which was a common practice for cheaper movies back in the day. Interesting. I learned so much from you. Um, I'm glad. And part of the reason it's all narrated is also because he didn't shoot sound. And that's also what helped him keep his cost down. Well... He just shot literally just the film. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. Also, you know, that just that cuts down on having to, to cut out a lot of sound as well. You don't like, need more people. Yeah. It's just you, the camera, and the surfers. Maybe some camera people mm -hmm. for additional footage. And that's it. Um... The plot is the crown jewel to 10 years of Bruce Brown's surf documentaries. Brown follows two young surfers around the world in search of the perfect wave and ends up finding quite a few in addition to some colorful local characters. Ha. So, um, we'll start with you. Uh, how familiar were you with surfing? Uh, and had you ever heard of this movie before seeing it? Um, okay. So my familiarity with surfing goes back to, um, I would, I was a part of this like summer camp program that my parents put me into where we would go and do like random, like outdoorsy things. Um, you know, like a big thing once a week and then like little things like we would go to, you know, parks and stuff like that throughout the the regular part of the week but um we would do like long trips every once in a while and one of our long trips was to go to the the outer banks and go surfing on the north carolina shore um and that was my first time going surfing um 
obviously North Carolina isn't known for a surf because there is none. Pretty much. And so that was my only real um, experience with surfing. I've never gone anywhere more exciting, I guess, than that to go surfing. I'm definitely not going to try my hand in like some place like Hawaii or even, you know, with real surf people. Yeah. I really, I, I couldn't get up on the board. <laughs> I mean, like I got up on the board, but it was like an instant like fall off like every single time. And maybe, maybe it would be better with actual surf people to tell me surf things. But I was like getting instructed by somebody who surfs in North Carolina. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, like, it was an interesting time. I don't really like the ocean, as I, I guess I previously said before. So it's, like, not really a sport that I personally want to experience often. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a fun thing to do. I think that it's, it's definitely more interesting than just, like, hanging out on the beach, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, but my, my familiarity with the movie? Yeah. I've, I've, I've... I'd never heard of any of these documentaries. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, the the types of doc- documentaries that I would watch were usually related to Nature, animals. Yeah. So, um, if it wasn't a planet Earth, yeah. <laughs> I I didn't know it existed. Um. So, but this was a this was a really fun. This was not what I was expecting at all, and in a good way. I didn't know really what a surfing documentary was going to entail, you know, but I, I loved the the charm of this movie. I think that it has, it feels very much like 1965 um, in, in every aspect of its, you know, production to the, just listening to this man talk. Yeah. You he know? had that sort of 50s, 60s narrator sound. Yeah, you know, the things that he would say, you know, the little catchphrases, you know, that just sound very, like, I don't know, um, very, very kitschy, very, like, for of the times, you know, golly gee willikers, you know, kind of stuff. And I I loved the the soundtrack as well, but it also just, it all lent so well to this very specific idea of, like, this California surf community of the 60s and, like, what that's like. Yeah. And I also think that this movie was was pretty honest with what it was. You know, it is a documentary, so, like, not every place they went, they could even... Yeah, they could even surf at all. It wasn't like we got to only see the good stuff. We We saw them traveling. We saw them, you know, going across all of these different places where you would never expect people to go to surf. Yeah, they went to great lengths. That's what I think was so impressive about the documentary is when you really think about it, these guys went to incredible lengths for what would ultimately amount to sometimes two to eight hours of surfing. Mm Mm-hmm. Days of travel, hours of travel, across difficult terrain sometimes, down into weird little pocket areas, to then maybe get two to eight hours, you know, of surf. Mm-hmm. I loved them being like, I don't know what the name of this beach is, and so they would just, like, give it some kind of name. Yeah. For the documentary's sake. Um... It was it was it was really 
a, um, a really, a really hip 60s movie. You know what I yeah, mean? Like it, it was a youth culture, I think, kind of favorite as well. Yeah, and I, I completely understand that. Like, it feels like I should be, like, 22 again. You know, watching these... Energized these... to go out and find this endless Epic. horizon. Yeah, you know? Um, and honestly, like, it was, it was also just, like, a really fun window. And, like, you don't get to see into the eyes of young people of a different era too often. And I think that this was really fun to see something that is was written and made by some dude in his, like, 20s about what it's like to be some dude in his 20s who likes to surf. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's great. Um, is this the oldest documentary that you had seen? Possibly. Um... You know, I don't know. I I really couldn't Need tell you. Need some research to decide. Maybe, yeah. I, I don't. I guess include when I think about like documentary. I guess I don't necessarily include some of like early film, just because like what else were they supposed to record when they first made the camera? Oh, I get that. That's y- fair. You know what I mean. So I don't necessarily count like some of the Edison films of like people boxing in the Black Mariah as like a documentary the fuck else was he gonna film no yeah he didn't have actors the whole concept was like foreign he was he was testing this thing out exactly so i'm not sure that like i think that once you get to like truly creating narrative out of the discussion then you're kind of into the documentary realm and so this i think is probably the oldest one i've seen i'd have to do a little bit of research to confirm that but i think this is probably the oldest i've seen I, i i think that that's pretty fair i mean not including, I guess, also some of the, like, pseudo-documentary newsreel-ish type of stuff of, like, the 40s that I've seen, like, footage of. Oh, no, I but, really... Like, I'm talking, like, feature length, I think, as well. Oh, I think that that's fair. I think that that's fair. Um, I Yeah, the, the whole concept of, honestly, watching a documentary from, from the past... You know, I don't think that the ideas ever really crossed my mind. I don't think that this was an avenue that I really was expecting to find anything in, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. For you, documentaries feel like a, a more modern concept. Yeah, I guess. Like an 80s onward kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, we've got all this technology now. Well, I think the independent boom of, like, and the increase in access to technology, which is also what fueled the independent boom, did also fuel some of a documentary boom. Yeah, exactly, because also it's, it's, it's a matter of access as well. Yeah. You know, you have to have the access to the equipment to then make your documentary. To find your subject and film it. Yeah, exactly, or, you know, I expect, like, documentaries to be more of, like, in a, for a scientific audience to, to be used as research or something like that to, for something, you know, let's say that I am an early explorer from the 20s who is going into the pyramids for the very first time. I would probably, if I could record something, I would, but also I don't think that I would make, then make a documentary out of that footage. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's all really fair. Um, I really enjoyed it as well. You know, I think that it is, to your point, it is very old fashioned. And I think that for some people that'll probably be like, not their bag. But I, I really enjoy it, and I also find it very fascinating to go back and, and to see them do this kind of thing where they speak for the subject. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and it's really then when you move into, like, the later 60s and moving into the 70s where the documentary really starts to go to this kind of, like, fly-on-the-wall, cinema verite, mm-hmm. hands-off, don't-touch kind of approach. Mm-hmm. And the subject then is supposed to be, you know, sort of speaking for themselves. And I think that it's it's really interesting to go back and see this kind of early transition phase. And I also just think that watching the surfing footage is incredible. Oh, it's also yeah. just remarkable, exciting to watch surfing footage. No, there's something almost like innocent about watching something that's from so far back because we've 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 come so far in in so many different directions. You know, basketball doesn't look the same as basketball did back in the 60s. Surfing doesn't look anything like it did back then you know now because we've we've gotten we've gotten better technology we've gotten stronger we've got you know we've gotten more time and it's just it was just ah inspiring to like watch these people who were like surfing had just come to the states not too long ago and to be that good to be that dedicated to love the sport that much you know, ah, I loved the like montage of like different people that he was describing while th- that were surfing out there. It was like, oh, you know, there's Mikey D over here, and this is Mikey D's favorite move. And then you just see this man, you know, doing something ridiculous on a board. I loved the guy who couldn't get knocked off. Like he's yeah, like he just never gets knocked off. It was fantastic watching him just like dip and weave through people. It was, I couldn't do that. Everybody would have been hit. It would have yeah. been a whole cluster. It would have been the worst. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, and so I think I think that it's a really fun, really light, airy, enjoyable, you know, family-friendly kind of experience. And I really, really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, really wholesome. Um, so if you had to rate... Uh, the Endless Summer out of five, what would you give it? Um, I think I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Um, you know, for no real in particular reasons, um, but like, I don't know, I think that I, I really enjoyed the parts where they were, and obviously it's a documentary so you can't control everything, but I always, I really enjoyed the parts where, like, they were actively, like, in, like, the fun surfing communities. And, like, some parts of the movie were just not like that. Yeah. You know? The parts of it were just, like, some dudes just wandering around, you know? Looking uh, for stuff, hanging out. Yeah, exactly. I loved that weird dude that, like, drove them across country. Like, that guy was great. He was, he was a hoot. Terrence? Yeah. He was a hoot. Um, but, yeah. Not all of it is that. And exactly. And there are some lulls for you. Exactly, Yeah. Uh, I'll go four and a half. Okay. Uh, I think I think you're right on with how it hits this sort of dreamy sweet spot of of summer, and I think in their in their sort of quest for the perfect wave and this perpetual life of being in summer around the world, I think that they in, did end up creating this kind of wonderful, um, you know, sort of semi poetic experience of this idyllic summer this endless summer if you just keep traveling long enough it's yeah. always summer you know you chase it like the horizon mm-hmm. and i think that also kind of fits into that 60s jet set mindset of you know just perpetually traveling wanderlust you know just yeah. sort of 
you can hop on the plane and be around the world tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that it also hits into those sort of romantic ideas as well Mm. very Mm -hmm. effectively. No, I think that all of that makes perfect sense. Um, I like it. I like it. (laughs) Uh, Moving on, we have our next film, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Uh, the, the movie gives you a lot of its own background. Oh! Up front. Oh, yeah! Um, so, I mean, if you want to know some of the background, watch the movie. But essentially, this Harlem Cultural Festival was filmed back in 69. And then for 50 years, the footage sat in a basement. And what ended up happening behind the scenes during that time was a few different people tried to get something going, and it never happened. And eventually something was really going and working, and they came to Questlove, the producers did, they said, we've got the footage of the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, would you like to do the documentary about, or be a part of, you know, the the documentary about the Harlem Cultural Festival from 1969? And he said, yeah, it sounds great. What is the Harlem Cultural Festival from 1969? Mm-hmm. And once he heard, you know, like the full story of of what it all was, he was enraptured sort of, you know, with this idea. And he was blown away that, especially as someone, because if you did not know, Amir Thompson, a.k.a. Questlove, is from the band The Roots. Um, He was astounded that he hadn't heard of this as a musician. That somehow this massive black musician event happened. And he was even astounded that he hadn't fucking heard of it until the producers came to him and said, hey, we got this footage of this incredible event that happened. Yeah, but I mean, when you scrub history, they (laughs) they don't leave a spot. No, man, if you let them. Um, And so I think that it was really, really interesting that that's sort of some of the backstory. And he got a hold of the footage and the documentary finally happened. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, it is directed by Questlove. Uh, it is the cinematographer who was really, I guess, you know, sort of overseeing the, um, probably, I imagine, a little bit of the restoration, mm-hmm. um, is Sean Peters. Uh, there aren't really any cast members. I mean, it's a bunch of the bands and some of the attendees, you know, that are subjects of the, of the film archive footage of people like B.B. King, Nina Simone, current day footage of some of the performers of The Fifth Dimension, um, and Yeah, it's Gladys really, like, Knight. anybody who was aware of the event who basically, like, wanted to come and be a part of this... Could come and talk about it. Yeah. And the plot is a documentary about the legendary 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which celebrated African-American music and culture and promoted black pride and unity. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and kick this one off since uh, you started on the last one. Yes. Um, So I was aware of the documentary and it was one that I was interested in seeing, but partially also because of the film bud schedule we ended up just not getting around to it um but it was one that was really on my mind and like especially when we were coming up to oscar season when i knew that it was nominated it was one that i was thinking about potentially trying to work into the show 
in some sort of capacity or just watch in general. Um, for those of you who may go, God, why didn't I know that this movie won Best Documentary at the Oscars this year? It's because the thing that preceded it was the infamous slap. And if you're wondering, wait, which slap? It's 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 the it's the one that it's the one that you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. It's it's the one that people wouldn't shut up about. Yeah. So, um, that's why you might not have heard about it. Um, but it's a pretty interesting story, and like I love so much of the musicians. I'm in particular like a big Nina Simone fan, and when so I saw that like in the trailer that this had some classic Nina footage in it. That was a a big draw for me, personally. And I gotta say, it didn't disappoint even fucking remotely at all. Oh my gosh. It was every bit of Best Picture winning documentary. It was fantastic. It drew you in, I think, with the right amount of circumstance and tension. And I think that they managed to then make it fun and poppy and dynamic, but then also still come back around in the third act and work some of that heart and power and underlying um, heft Mm -hmm. of the moment to the story again Mm -hmm. without still never really um, making it dour or serious or moody. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really, really impressive feat for what they did overall. Um, and that's sort of like my my broad thoughts on the on the movie. What did What did you think? So I had I had honestly never heard of this film before, um, as usual. <laughs> um, so when you when you you brought it up, I was like, okay, cool. And honestly, I feel like I had the exact same response as Questlove. Like, great, what's the Harlem Cultural Festival? Like, what is what is this movie about? Like, what are we what are we about to to you know dive into? And I absolutely adore this movie. Um, I I found a lot of a lot of warmth and a lot of pride in this movie. And um, you know, as a as a as a as a Black American this this movie was just inspiring um i i can't say enough good things about it honestly um because also like there's 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 something about being being black in the in the united states where y- you have culture but your culture is always wrapped in so much like sadness and things that people don't want to talk about that it's it's kind of hard to to remember all of the good things about being black and i think that this movie was just so much of the good and so much of the why the fight continues and and kind of like a beacon for it you know it was definitely a very much like a cultural reminder a a a, a system recheck of sorts of a movie for me because there's because of it being in 1969 this movie is wrapped in history just automatically by where it is smack dab in the middle you know the the late 60s and some of the people who took part in the story are directly involved in that history exactly and so um it's we in order to make 
the footage makes sense. Questlove did a great job of interweaving a lot of history into these things because otherwise, you know, you would hear these people reference, you know, Dr. King's assassination and you'd be like, why on earth are they talking about Dr. King's assassination when you realize that that had just happened? Mm -hmm. It's fresh on everyone's mind. You know, um, they go through this whole list of the, you know, we lose, we lose Malcolm, we lose Martin. We, we lose the Kennedys. We, yeah, we go through, you know, years and year and year, you know. The the 60s are riddled with, with huge death of of public figures, you know. And this is, this, it's very grounding in that reality. And then also then you get to hear these songs that were born of this, you know. And some things are, some things are happy, but a lot of things are, are, are sad or, or mournful or, you know, they're proud, but they're, they're reserved, you know, and it's, it's just a musical explosion, especially because like we did watch the Get Back documentary not too long ago, which is again, another, you know, back in the time Well, times. I think that it's very interesting that two of the biggest documentaries that happened on film and television in the last few years are both the unearthing, reclaiming, and and re-envisioning of this historical event, particularly from the late 60s and in relation to music. Yeah, I think that it's, I think that it, honestly, you know, to your point, I think that it is fascinating how we just keep finding this stuff. You know, you're, you're going to tell me in a minute that we're going to have the original footage of some Broadway musical from the 50s, just, and it's going to be in some, in some Pap Pap's basement. Well, I think that part of the reason is also that, um, for, less so a little bit with the Beatles, very much so with, um, Summer of Soul, I think that you're getting a lot of, um, subtext about the pre the the past and how it relates to the present yeah yeah for sure no i get that i i also agree with your sentiment a little bit of get back but definitely a lot of summer of soul that's more about like being in transition mm -hmm. you know sort of personally mm -hmm. but also being in transition with the time because they also are at the end of a decade mm -hmm. in that here it's all about the socio-political transition yeah, and it's about this this um this reaffirming what it means to be black. That we're here, that we come in all forms. Exactly, exactly. No, I think that this 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 movie was was truly truly beautiful. Um and I I'm honestly very touched that that this footage just exists that this this piece got to be made because now I can also use this as a, as a like a staple of, of my black history, mm -hmm. you know, as well, because like this happened the same time as Woodstock. The, the same, same summer. summer in f miles. One was in New York City and one was in upstate New York. They were in the same state in the same summer. And no one has ever heard of this. But everybody talks about how they want it to be at Woodstock. And honestly, like... This looked way better than anything that I ever saw about Woodstock. Yeah, this shit looked great. <laughs> Woodstock looks like a bunch of dirty hippies now compared to this. <laughs> Woodstock was a bunch of dirty hippies. 
I mean, true, but people have, like, fantasized about it, where this was just, like, an entire summer. People got to watch Stevie Wonder play live for free. When when he said he was, like, what, 19? He was 19 years old. Incredible. People got to go to this thing for free. Incredible. The city paid for this. The city of New York paid for this. The mayor was there. Mm Mm-hmm. And nobody remembers this. It just boggles. Republican mayor. Republican mayor was hanging out in the black I'm neighborhoods. I'm sure he's got plenty of, you know, snakes in the woodpile if I look him up historically. But I'm sure. I'm sure. He did this right. Everybody gets one. He was there when they were doing the riots. It was just, it's, yeah. this is a wonderful, like, time capsule of a film. And um, truly, and then the most honest sense of it, of, of what a time capsule truly is, something that is buried and lost, that gets unearthed. And brought and, back to you. Yeah, and you get, to, you get to see it. And it was just, it was amazing to, to look at these, these people and, you know, find connection with them, even though we are, you know, what, 60 years removed from this history, almost? Uh, getting close to. Yeah, so I just, I really, I really, truly, um, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Honestly, like I could, I could talk about each of the acts right now. Like, but I'm, yeah, but I'm, but I'm not. No, like, because <laughs> we we could definitely gush about music for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, like I I I don't want to spoil any of the magic of the experience for anyone. No, it's so no. pleasant to see it happen. But there are so many songs now that I have to go. I need to rewatch this just so that I can figure out which songs I need to now add to the. I just need to, the... to go and see if there's an album. Yeah, you know? exactly. I need these. I need the songs. I need all of these songs that I've never heard before. In my life. Yeah. Uh, so if you had to rate it out of five, what would you give it? <laughs> I'll go first. I'll go with a five. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a five out of five. Um. Truly, truly well done. And I know that Questlove um, is, you know, he's a part of documentaries uh, all the time. And, like, I think that this is just another opportunity that he, he picked to, to let somebody's voice who had never been heard before, literally, get heard for the first time in the in the best way, you know. Because he also was a part of the, um, the Apu documentary as well. No. That wasn't Quest? No. Oh, damn it. Who am I thinking of? That was, um, Kamau Bell. Oh, I was right. Kamau Bell. Is that who you were thinking of? Oh my gosh, that is who I was thinking of. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Honestly, they've got similar energy. That's fair. It's the big beards and the big hair. Yeah, but also it's like the way that they talk as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So, anywho, still five out of five, regardless of me not knowing, apparently, all of Questlove's many endeavors. But, um, I know that there's something else. He's a part of the house band. The Roots are currently the house band on um, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. You know, and I think I thought that that was that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Son of a bitch. I love you, dear. I love you. Um, this is this is something that's going to ram my brain for for a while now. Yeah, you're going to be down this rabbit hole for the rest of the night. <laughs> um, I guess moving on to wrap up um, some media news. Uh, 
honestly, the only thing that is really worth mentioning, um, there are actually two things that are worth mentioning. The first one is that we lost uh, James Caan, the classic actor uh, from Misery, The Godfather, um, plenty of other films. Uh, he passed away at the age of 82. And it's honestly a real shame that uh, he's no longer with us. No, it is. But he definitely got to live a very full life and, like, have a fantastic career. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, in, in another sad passing, though, as well, we also had the recent passing of uh, Kazuki... Takahashi, who was the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh, who passed away at 60. No! Yeah. Oh my god, that was our entire childhood. You do not mess with it. <laughs> These are the yeah. facts. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that. That's really sad. Yeah. Um, very young. Um, I can't imagine that it was expected, or if it was, it was probably, um, oh, it was, I guess, a snorkeling accident. even more reason to stay away from the ocean um so very unfortunate um you know two passings of two very different kinds of icons but like both of them respectable icons like no, each of them yeah. icons in their own ways and like i'm sure that somebody listening to this is like what the hell is Yu-Gi-Oh? but it it truly touched a generation and is like an unforgettable oh, thing. Oh, people are still into the cards. Oh, you're kidding. No, yeah. Oh my gosh. This is this is like the lesser pokemon. Yeah, people are still into the cards. Fantastic. Um as but that's pretty much all that we have for the show, honestly. Um uh as far as what we're watching, uh we finished up Stranger Things 4. Yes, we did. Um really enjoyable, not perfect. Um I've got a lot of thoughts and opinions about it, but I don't want to get into them because a lot of them are very spoilery. Um, but for the most part, I liked 4 a lot. I'm looking forward to 5. I think that 5 is going to go in a very particular sort of King style of story. Um, that if, you, if you've seen 4, you know exactly what I'm referencing. Um, but I think um, I liked 4 a lot. I'll be curious to see what 5 does. It's going to be very, very different. I'm glad that everyone is finally back in one location again, for fuck's sake. Oh, um, yeah. Jesus. I'm tired of having, like, disparate storylines, especially when they were across a country. It was it was a mess. And so I'm really looking forward to having everyone back. Um, one is still my favorite season. Um, but I really enjoyed this one a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that they really hit, like, a slam dunk with one. Um, but, like, honestly, I really enjoyed this season a lot. Um, I think that they finally got, like, a nice groove back. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to season five. Oh, gosh, five. <laughs> In 2024. Oh, my gosh, we have to wait so long. Boo. Whatever. Um... <laughs> I'll forget about it and then be pleasantly surprised when it's coming out. Um, but that's honestly pretty much all that we have. Um, this weekend I might be recording a bonus episode. Stay tuned for that. 
Uh, next week, come back for my Marcel the Shell review. Yeah! Which will be a written review. I got to go to the advanced screening, and so next week the movie comes out, and so I can put my review out next week. I'm so excited! So, please definitely come back and check out that. Um, but that's pretty much all that I have for y'all. Uh, dear, do you have anything that you would like to, to say to the dear listeners? Um... Uh, stay cool. Wear sunscreen. Wear sunscreen. Wear sunscreen. That's so important. Um, stay hydrated. That's also very important. Um, you know, it can, it can, you can be, you can forget to, to drink water when you're not like actively, you know, sweating, but sweating is just a way of your body telling you that you need to cool down. Not that you're dehydrated. (laughs) So drink water, drink water. Um, and come back next week when we discuss more movies on, on this channel right here. Same bat time, same bat channel. If I'm not mistaken, next week is, is Hot Bods. Hot Bods! uh, Body Heat and Wild Things. Fantastic. So, and we've got the great Arrow Video 4K of Wild Things that just came out. And so I'm really, I'm really pumped to crack this bad boy on and, and give it a watch. I'm sure it's going to look great. Ah, yay. So do come back next week. We've got lots of good stuff coming up for y'all. It's going to be a good summer. Keep on listening. Stay safe. And remember, documentaries aren't truth. Responsible documentarians strive to be truth tellers. But a documentary can be as deceitful as anything else. Yeah. That's my final pro tip for y'all. Have a good one, and we'll see y'all next week. Bye! Bye.